I had the privilege of hearing Dr. Lee preach on quite a few occasions, three occasions in Bible college, once at Lynchburg Baptist College and at Hiles Anderson College, I heard him preach that message. And I never will forget his introduction. He would preach that message like it was a, like it was a play. And when he would get into the introduction, he said, he would say, I introduced to you the characters. I introduced to you Ahab, the Henri Stowe toad that ever squatted on the throne. <laughs> I introduced to you Jezebel, the stinkiest weed that ever grew in God's garden of flowers. And I introduced to you Elijah, God's man. What a preacher he was. He was a Picasso with his tongue, the way he could paint portraits with adjectives and words from the Word of God. I loved Dr. Lee. We miss those men. We miss them. I'll take a moment before I get started this morning, and I want to express on my part and that of my wife, Joni, our gratefulness and appreciation for the opportunity to be here. I don't really deserve to be anywhere, and anywhere that the Lord lets me go, it's all of grace. We're grateful for the opportunity. We want to thank Brother Kevin for the invitation. We've been able to come here on many occasions, and it is a privilege. I want to thank the church for your hospitality and opening your arms the way you do, the way you have fed us. Since we've been here, every meal you've given us, so accommodating, so careful to make sure that every need is taken care of, and we're grateful. We appreciate that. I pastored for a little over 37 years. I know the work and the labor that goes into these meetings, and I stand grateful for the fact that many of you have joined hands with your pastor to put this meeting forward. And Joni and I are grateful. Whatever you do for us in love offering, we're grateful and thankful for that. We do not minimize that. Uh, it, it, takes, it takes love offerings to be able to do what we do and stay on the road and carry forth this ministry. But God has been teaching me in these six years, you know, I always preached on faith. I preached on faith, promise, grace, giving. And I believe that I did live by faith. But I had a check coming in every week from our church. Now, I don't want to overblow that, but I'll tell you what, since we transitioned into this ministry, it's not just been a message I've had to preach. It has been a life we have had to live. And I can only tell you that God is faithful. And here's what the Lord has shown me about giving in these six years. He has let me know, son, your transition has nothing to do with your obedience in the area of giving. You continue to honor me and I'll honor you. And as we have traveled and preached and just trusted God from hand to mouth, day to day and week to week, I've seen God stir his people and use his people to meet our needs. That's what the scripture says in Luke 6 and 38. Give and it shall be given. Press down good measure. Running over 
shall men give unto your bosom. That's how God supplies. I'm not saying he can't drop it out of heaven or use some miraculous means, but God chose to use men to meet our needs. And here's what he showed me. I don't live off what you give me. I live off what I give him because it's in giving to him and being faithful to him that he moves on your heart to give to me. And if I ever stop giving to him, he'll stop moving on your heart to give to me. He'll shut it off. And so I want to thank you for whatever you do for us. I know it is the good grace of God, and we stand grateful. I love each and every one of you. I appreciate you. This part of our country has become a second home to me. I do not have better friends than what I have in northeast Mississippi. And there's no people that I love any more than I love the people here. And we're just thankful that the Lord has allowed our paths to cross in his sovereign goodness. We're so very grateful and thankful. I want to thank uh, Brother Tim, I mean Brother uh, Ken, for his message this morning. When I met Brother Ken, Brother Roy Crouch had just taken that church. It's called the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church in Ellisville, Mississippi. And these people will tell you, everybody there just refers to it as the Ridge. The Ridge. Brother Roy is a fine, he's, I, I used to say young man. I, I still think he's young. He may not feel that way, but he's a fine preacher in his own right. And when I preached for Brother Roy there, it was right before they built their new auditorium, and Brother Herschel Bragg sat out in the congregation, I had the privilege of spending some time with Brother Herschel, and God bless his memory. Thank you for bringing, thank you for bringing those tracks this morning. Brother Jack Howes must have stole Brother Herschel's message, because at Lester Roloff's funeral, three thousand people in the city of Corpus Christi, at the downtown Civic Center. 3,000 people were there, and Bob Jones III got up, and Brother Roloff's nemesis, Mark White, had been elected governor on the day Brother Roloff died. They said Brother Roloff walked out of his house that morning told, told Brother Mike, his associate pastor, said, Mike, this is going to be the greatest day in my life. Some wondered if he had a premonition about his death. Either way, it was going to be the greatest day of his life. I just don't think the Lord wanted to let Brother Roloff live to see Mark White elected, and he took him home. He just took him. And uh, Bob Jones got up and said, Well, I see that Texas has elected some masterpieces of depravity. And they did. They did. And later on, Jack Howes got up. You know what he preached on, Ken? He preached on the dash. The dash. I regret that I was not able to go to Peru with you. Lord knows I would have loved to. My heart is in missions, and I love mission trips. And I maybe one of these days I can go. Maybe one of these days, maybe even to Cuba. I have been invited to Cuba with Brother Bruce Martin, Brother Jimmy Adams other men that are doing good works there. Right now, the Lord is really working in Cuba. They're seeing a lot of people saved, and, uh, and there in Cuba, they are, uh, they are starting printing ministries. 
They, and of course, all this is illegal as far as the communists are concerned. But God is, God is doing great things there in Cuba. And uh, isn't it just like the Lord? Paul said, though these hands are bound, the word of God is not bound. And so I praise the Lord. Do you know the fastest growing church in the world used to be in China? In China, right in the mouth of the devil himself. Communism, the bamboo curtain. I've been there twice. Had the privilege of preaching in some underground churches there. You know where the fastest growing church is today? It's in the country of Iran. In Iran is the fastest growing. The word of God is not bound. And we know according to the book of Revelation chapter 5, after the rapture takes place and the church gathers around the throne, they're going to sing this song, Worthy art thou, O Lord, for thou hast redeemed us out of every nation, every kindred, and every tongue. So the gospel is, before the tribulation period is over, the gospel is going to go to the four corners of the earth. His purpose is going to be accomplished So what we need to do is we need to get in line with it and fall in behind him and partake of the blessing of the Great Commission. I just wanted to, I wanted to say those things this morning. My heart has been blessed. I appreciate the kids, the song. My heart is always touched hearing that song and no different this morning. What you have before you today is a faith promise pledge card. It's called faith promise because you're making a promise not to this church, not to Kevin Merritt. You're making a promise to the Lord. Nobody wants you to put your name on here because this is between you and the Lord. And dearly beloved, it's called faith promise because this promise is totally totally made and based upon faith and trust in the promises of God. So to that end, it's called Faith Promise. Faith Promise is a giving program uh, as far as the name is concerned. It was given that name by Dr. Oswald J. Smith. I had the privilege of hearing Dr. Smith preach at the Greenwood Village Bible Conference in Houston, Texas years ago. Dr. Smith wrote the book on Faith Promise He wrote and he pinned down the faith promise giving plan. And of course, he pastored the great people's church of Toronto, Canada. And there's no telling, there's no summing up the amount of money and funds that that great church gave towards world evangelization. And though that's a good name, and though it describes the content of that offering, the Bible refers to it as the grace of giving the grace of giving. That's what I always refer to it as. Faith promise is secondary in my preaching because I love the biblical term, the grace of giving. There are two offerings, and that's described in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapter 9. The handbook on the tithe and taking care of God's man is in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. The handbook on the love offering is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. There are two offerings in the Bible, two types of offerings. This is described in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Those two offerings are tithe and offering, tithe and 
offering. Amen? Now, dearly beloved, the tithe means tenth. The tithe is not the high water mark. The tithe is the low water mark. It is the bottom of the totem pole. The tithe is not yours. It's the Lord's. And when you don't tithe, you're robbing God. That's what the scripture says. I'm smiling as I say it. I'm being as sweet as I can be. But our churches are full of a bunch of God robbers. You know, a thief will come when you're not looking. You're not at home, but a robber just sticks a gun in your face. says, give me what you've got. It's interesting that God used the word robber to describe that act. The tithe is the Lord's. I used to tell my people, if you rob God, God's going to get his tithes. You might end up down at the hospital getting your tithes taken out. You might end up down at the dentist getting your tithes taken out. But make no mistake about it. It's not a matter of whether you can afford it. It's not a matter of cash flow. It's a matter of faith and trusting God and obeying him. I assure you the Bible's filled with promises concerning giving that if you That if you make this a priority in your life and it's preeminent in your life, God will never let you do without. God will meet your needs. Miraculously. I mean promises like Proverbs chapter 3 and he's talking about giving and what he says is honor the Lord with all the first fruits of your substance. So then shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And thy, breast, and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. Not booze, new wine. Now, I don't want to get into that. Malachi chapter 3. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. He didn't say offerings, he said tithes. That was a portion of the temple. It was kept, dearly beloved, to the side, and it was kept there to take care of the Levitical priesthood tribe and all the duties towards the temple. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and listen to this, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out my blessings upon you so that you cannot receive them. But he's not just talking about what he'll give back to us. He's talking about I'll put the devil in his place and keep him from taking what you've got. I will rebuke the devourer. Some people in Baptist churches, believers, Christians, are always behind Because they're robbing God. They're not able to enjoy the divine provision and the promises of provision that are unleashed by obedience and God allows the devourer to take what they've got. Some people say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. (laughs) It's not a matter of cash flow. If you make a dollar, you can give a dime. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Now, some people... Listening to what I'm saying right now, we say, all that preacher's interested in in money. He's got a money problem. No, sir, you've got the money problem because your attitude is wrong. I could care less what you give to me. I love you, appreciate you. I'm not trying to minimize that. I had a preacher email me this morning and ask me for a meeting in February. You know what he asked me? How much do you require 
to come. I wanted to answer him. I know a lot of southern I know a lot of southern gospel groups are doing that, but I be not a southern gospel singer. I am a Bible preacher. I come for nothing. But he'll give me what I need. <laughs> Is that a little bit too rough for you? It's just true. It's true. I don't have an agent that tells you I need so much. All I need is him. That is all that I need. I wrote him back. I said, brother, no problem. I'll be glad to come, but I require, I require no finances. Whatever your people do is what God wants me to have, and that's fine with me. And so let me just say this. Tithing, tithing, some people say, well, that's an aspect of the law. Did you know tithing was before the law? Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and when he did, he bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Tithing is not some legalistic plan that God had devised for the Jews. Tithing is a part of our worship. You cannot worship God without giving. And if you try to, your worship is in vain. It is in vain. David said, I'll not sacrifice that to the Lord, which cost me nothing. You know what he bought when he said that? The threshing floor of Ornan. Do you know what that was? That's where Abraham sacrificed or took Isaac to sacrifice him. And that's the same hill that our Lord died on right there. I will not sacrifice that to the Lord, which cost me nothing. Did you know that the word tithe is never used in respect to the word give? Check your Bible. Anytime you see the word tithe, it always uses the word pay or bring. Because you're not giving till you go beyond the tithe. That's what the love offering is about. That's what grace giving is about. Grace giving isn't just for missions. I know preacher friends of mine, good friends of mine, who try to take 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 and attribute it only to giving. It's, I mean only to missions. It's not attributed only to missions. It is attributed to giving a love offering out of the grace that God has placed in your heart to meet the needs that exist in the lives of our brothers and sisters around the world, whatever that need may be. And when you and I exercise the grace of giving, God makes very specific promises, just like he does for the tithe, that that will not go unnoticed in heaven, that God will give that back to you and more. That's what he says. That's exactly what he says in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in chapter 9, in chapter 9 of the book of 2 Corinthians, he said, God loveth a cheerful giver. That word means hilarious. That means get a kick out of it. Enjoy it. Do it with a smile on your face. Because he said, he that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. The degree to which God gives back to us is in accordance to the degree to which you and I are willing to trust him. To trust him. And so, dearly beloved, you have been given a pledge card. 
Now, some of you will give cash. I know Brother Ronnie uh, Barefield does this, and it matters not to me how you do it. I mean, there's different ways that people give to missions. Some give a cash offering, a one-time offering. Uh, some may give cash or write a check from time to time. Others uh, make a pledge. It's called a faith promise pledge. Some churches give a certain amount of their budget. I know Dr. Lee Robertson in the great Highland Park Baptist Church of, 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 uh, of Chattanooga, Tennessee. They gave uh, 65% of their income to missions. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I personally don't agree with just giving out of the church budget, giving out of the tithes that the people give. And the main reason why I don't agree with that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't agree with it because it robs the people of the blessing of learning how to exercise faith in this area of giving and seeing their faith grow and strengthen by seeing God respond according to what his word says. And that's not to mention the fact that the Bible certainly teaches giving over and above our tithe and the grace of giving. Your pastor is asking you to fill one of these out. I'll tell you what I used to tell our people. I'm going to get to preaching here in a minute. I probably already preached more than some of you want to hear. I don't know why, you know, money just seems to seize people up. The Bible has a lot to say about money. I I could stand here all day and preach what the Scripture says to you about money. And if it's not your God, you won't have a problem with it. But your pastor's asked you to fill out this card. Now, here's what I used to tell our people. I want everybody in the church, and I'm not pastor here, so I'm not trying to force that on you. I want everybody in the church to take this card, whether you feel that or not. I would love for us to do like the church at Antioch where every man determined in his heart to give. I'd love for us to do that. may not happen. And if it doesn't, that's okay. We don't want any names on here. We're not twisting any arms. But we're asking you to take this. So if you don't feel that, keep it and remember it. Keep it as a, as, as a memory of this conference and from time to time. Pray for your church and pray for your pastor. The rest of you, fill it out. Fill it out. Put it in. Now, here's the, here's the reason why. Not only does it give us an idea of how much money will be coming in on a weekly slash monthly basis. There's different ways you can give per week, bi-weekly, bi-month, or, or monthly. And all this is tallied up according to what you say on here. So you circle week, bi-weekly, or monthly. Then the amount is tallied up according to that frequency. But not only does it enable us to know how much will be coming in, but it enables us to build a budget and to know with what we're going to get, how many missionaries we're going to take on, how much we're going to give them for a month. Now, I'm talking to you like I would have talked to to my people for 31 years. And uh, I, I trust you'll do that today. I trust you'll do that today. Now, I am going to preach on giving this morning, but I'm not going to be as specific as I've already been about money. I want to preach this morning a message on giving, and I trust that we'll all listen and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And I trust today, dearly beloved, that 
Victory, that Charity Baptist Church will take a step forward in the grace of giving and in getting the gospel around the world. Your pastor has felt led to use the grace of giving in order to finance missions. Doesn't mean the church cannot also use some of its budget. Matter of fact, that may be a good idea for the church to do because I always felt like if I was going to ask that of my people individually, then we ought to do it collectively. Now, that being said, uh, as, as you give today, however you give, know this. It'll be a reflection of your faith. And I trust today that when this service is over and in the days to come, that the outreach of Charity Baptist Church will be lengthened and that your faith will be strengthened. Because you'll learn this morning that it is the degree of your faith that will determine the degree of your obedience in this area. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Mike's not working. I'm going to take this off anyway. So let me. Benjamin Franklin said that when Whitfield preached in the fields of New England, you could hear him for a mile. I wish it were still that way. Some say, boy, he must have had a loud voice. No, it was God that amplified his voice. Because Whitfield was a revivalist. And Whitfield preached with power. All right, thank you, Brother Greg. I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number. Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, as well as Luke chapter 6, which carries a more succinct record of this message, records the greatest message that was ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached. And that preacher was the Lord Jesus Christ. Every message should have a theme, and this message has a theme in chapter 5, and In chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus said this, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the theme of this message is what is true righteousness. The Lord makes it very plain and clear that true righteousness is not just what you see out here. True righteousness is is what God sees in here. There are many subjects that this message covers, and among these subjects, Jesus covers, Jesus covers the subject of giving. Giving is a part of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, dearly beloved, the greatest barometer of your faith and your walk with God is not your shouting. It is not your singing, but it is your giving. And we'll see that here momentarily. Here in this great message that Jesus preached in chapter 6, 
he deals with alms. As a matter of fact, in the very first few verses, verse number one, he said, take heed that you, uh, that you do not your alms, your alms before men. So Jesus sets the tone in this chapter. He's going to talk about giving. He also talks about praying, and, and he also talks about fasting. But you come back to chapter 19 and to the end of the chapter, and Jesus is addressing the subject of giving. Only, dearly beloved, giving being a broad term, Jesus gets much more, uh, much more focused in what he says here. But let's do this. Let's read these verses. Then I want to, I want to, to, to give you the outline. I want to break it down how we're going to preach it this morning, and then we're going to preach it. It's like the old black preacher says. You tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. That's preaching. And here it is right here. Chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus now comes back from the first few verses to the subject of giving. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Now, now he says lay not up, and we're not really going to preach this verse, but it, it is connected. In tw- verse 20 he says lay up. Underline that phrase, lay up or lay not up. It's very important. But lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Nothing wrong with saving money. Nothing wrong with investing money. But you're not going to take it with you when you die. As Isaiah said, it'll fade like the flower and wither like the grass. I preached a lot of funerals. I've preached the funeral of some rich people. I've looked down in their casket. I've seen no bank books or any ledgers. I've sat in funeral homes and listened to children fight over the money that mama and daddy left. And I'm not saying that we should not invest. I'm not saying that we should not save money. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, that the priority does not need to be in the temporary nature of this world. But our giving needs to be prioritized according to the eternal nature of God's world. This is what he's saying here. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore that light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. He's still talking about giving here. As a matter of fact, he's talking about it all the way to the end of the chapter. And he says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Materialism, that's what mammon is. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in the Scripture, It is a contextual tie. He is tying previous context with coming context. One commentator said, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to study what it's there for. I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat 
or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. Do you what he's saying here? He's saying as far as giving, don't prioritize this world. Prioritize my world. Make it preeminent in your life, and when you do so, you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) That's what he means when he says take no thought. Don't worry about it. Why? I'll tell you why, because verse 33 says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, the material things, the temporal things, shall be added unto you. Do you know what the these things are in this contextual paragraph? Food, water, and clothing. Do you believe that? I hope so, because if you don't, you don't believe the Bible. This is what the Word of God teaches, and it's time to put up or shut up. Is that plain enough? It's just true. I'm not trying to be mean. Some, but Ronnie Barefield tells me I'm very opinionated. I said, we all are, Ronnie. We all are. Here's how I want to break this text down this morning. Number one, in verses 19 and 20, let's just say verse 20. I'm not going to preach verse 19. In verse 20, the Lord gives us an exhortation. He gives us an exhortation. And here's what that exhortation is. It is to lay up. It is to lay up. Let me give you the meaning of this word. Here's what it means. It conveys the idea of sending ahead or investing, investing. Here's what the Lord is telling us. Don't prioritize investing in this world. Not that it's wrong, but even what, even the returns you get are only temporal. He said prioritize investing in his world. Prioritize investing in eternity and in the souls of men. That's what Jesus is saying here because, oh, it pays great dividends. And the rewards are eternal. So here is his exhortation. Invest in heaven. Did you know that's what this missions conference is about? Did you know everything that I've said about giving this morning? I know I've been somewhat crass, and I know I can even come across sarcastic. But did you know I have? Because that's what Jesus is teaching us here, and it's what I want to teach you today. Don't prioritize investing in this temporal world. Invest in God's world. That's what missions is all about. Is it about investing in God's world and in God's work? That's, Brother Clayton would say, big point number one. Let me give you big point number two. Here's the second way I want to break this text down. Not only does Jesus give us an exhortation here, and that is to invest, to lay up, but Jesus draws us a conclusion here. I love verse 21 because basically, dearly beloved, what he's doing is he's drawing a conclusion as to verse 19 and 20. Read what it says, where your treasure is. That's what your heart, that's where your heart will be. In other words, the way you invest proves where your heart is. Where is my heart this morning? 
Is my heart in this world or is my heart in this, his world? Is my heart in the temporal things of this earth or, or is my heart in the eternal things of God? What Jesus is saying, dearly beloved, it is your investments that will determine the difference. As a matter of fact, let me, I put it in my notes this way. What you do with your treasure, and it's not solely relegated to money. It has to do with things that are valuable, but certainly money is among that. What you do with your treasure is a reflection of the condition of your heart. And to that end, I said what I said a moment ago. The greatest barometer of your walk with God, your faith, is not your shouting. It is not your singing. That doesn't cost you anything. The greatest barometer of your faith is your giving. You know why? Because that costs you something. That demands sacrifice. And it demands that we can't see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. It demands that we trust God. (laughs) But here's the third point. Big point number three. Big point number three. Not only does Jesus give us an exhortation and draw us a conclusion, but he leaves us an admonition. (laughs) We read it to you. It's mentioned six times in verses 25 to 34, and essentially what Jesus is saying is you invest in eternal things, prioritize investing in eternal things, not temporal things. And the tendency is for us to worry about it. We think we got to control it. And if we don't, things are going to go awry. And here is the the conclusion, or excuse me, the admonition that Jesus is giving us. You prioritize investing in eternity, and I'll take care of the rest. Don't give it another thought. Don't lay awake at night chewing your fingernails off your fingers and drawing curtains and living in a dark room. No, shout and rejoice and praise God. And thank God you can sing standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. I will shout and sing standing. <laughs> On the promises of God. Six times in this passage. Look at verse 25. Take no thought. Verse 27. Taking thought. Verse 28. Take no thought. Verse 31. Take no thought. You know why Jesus repeated this six times? Because he knows one of our greatest problems is worrying about money. You know why we're worried about the economy? We're worried about money. You know why we're worried about the world's circumstances and politics and all the implications thereof? We're worried about money. Will I be able to eat? Will I be able to drink? Will I be able to buy clothes? Will I be able to put food on my table? The Lord's telling you, don't worry. I've got this. You cannot disassociate verses 25 to 34 from verses 20 to 24. 
And he says in verse 34, take no thought. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Don't worry. Down here our burdens are heavy. And the road seems rough and long. Sometimes my feet get weary and so worn. (laughs) But a brighter day is coming. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is. Soon I'll step on heaven's shore. And I won't have to worry anymore. No, I won't have to worry when I reach that other shore. All my troubles will be over and I'll rest forevermore. My eyes will be on Jesus and my heart will be aglow. (laughs) Because I never had to worry anyway. There you go. To God be the go. What are you worried about? <laughs> is he who he says he is? Did God speak just to bump his gums? Or did he mean what he said? Joni and I have learned in these last six years that God meant what he said. And every Saturday night, I do what I preach to you. I sit down and through the Tithely app, I pay my tithe and my grace-giving offering to my church. I'm a church man. I'm a local church man. Everybody ought to be a member. You're saved of a local church. And you ought to serve through that church. You ought to give through that church. And if you don't, you ought to be ashamed. You're being disobedient. And you'll not experience the blessings of God. Well, that's the message, but I'm not done. What about this exhortation? What about this exhortation? Let me expand upon it like this. Look at the people that he's telling to invest. Lay not up for yourselves the word yourselves is used in verse 19 and 20. He is talking about us individually and he's talking about us collectively. This is for all of God's people. It matters not, dearly beloved, how much money you make or don't make. It matters not what your economic status is. This is for ourselves. Amen. He's telling All of us is the people of God. Don't stress investing in this world. Prioritize investing in my world. And what is his world? Well, that brings to mind. He's not only asking us to look at the people that he is telling to invest, but look at the place where we should invest. Look what he says. The verse 19, he says, on on, on earth. Verse number 20 says, in heaven. These investments on earth aren't going to last. You know they're going to fade away. You know you're going to die one day, and they're going to drop your carcass in a graveyard, and nobody's going to care how much money you have, except your children or those who inherit your money, and they'll fight over it. 
I sat in a funeral home one day and listened to children in our church fight over their mother's money. I said, if you don't stop this, I'm getting up and leave right now. All you're proving is where your heart is. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I don't need money, but I do need God. The place is not here on this earth in heaven. We need to prioritize as God's people investing in his place, investing in heaven. Because one day when this life is over, the only thing you'll be rewarded for is not what you've achieved in this economy and in this world. The only thing that you and I will be rewarded for, the only thing that will go ahead of us, and the only thing that will follow us is those investments we have made in the souls of men and the sowing of the seed of the gospel. But not only look at the person or the people uh, that he's asking to invest or telling to invest and the place where we should invest, but look at the impermanence of our investments. I mean, even Wall Street will tell you when a stock is bad, if it's shaky, and they'll tell you to draw your money out because it's just not going to last. It's not going to make it. That's what he says here. We're moth. Does corrupt and rust, cankers. He says, don't stress that. Don't prioritize that. But put your investments, your time, your talents, your tithes. He said, put your investments in that which is permanent, that which will never fade away, that which will never wither away. And is that which we send on ahead of us in the glory. Why, we stress so much. Right now they're telling us to buy gold. Our money's not going to be worth anything. They're telling us that President Biden has ordered all the banks, giving them 18 months to transition to a digital currency. And people are getting all stressed out and saying, well, we better buy gold. We better buy gold. Because the Bible says that there's going to come a day where a bag of gold won't buy a piece of bread. You're not going to be here anyway if you're saved. He's talking about the tribulation period. Where we're going, the streets are paved with that stuff. The permanence that's involved. But what about this conclusion? What about what Jesus says in verse 21, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also? Let me give you three thoughts that I want to convey concerning this conclusion. I told you, and what I wrote in my notes is what you do with your treasures or your investments is a reflection of the condition of your heart. And in verses 22, 23, and 24, Jesus magnifies that. Here's what he tells us about our investments and what it says about our heart. Number one, it proves what your heart is full of. He's talking about treasure in verse number 21, and he transitions now, dearly beloved, into, he transitions into uh, two basic illustrations. To illustrate, dearly beloved, to illustrate the value of our investments as it has to do with our heart. 
He says in verse 22 and 23, he says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, and thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. What he's saying, dearly beloved, is basically our hearts are full of light or full of darkness. One of the two. And then he says, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? What does this have to do with giving? He's just talking about your treasure. And what he's saying is, dearly beloved, is what you do with your investments and treasures proves the condition of your heart. And here in these two verses, he's telling us that our investments magnify what our heart is full of. We're either full of light or full of darkness he's not talking about whether you're saved or not he's not talking about being lost or saved but he's talking about the obedience of your walk he's talking about the fullness of your walk and sad today that even some of God's people are willingly blind to what I'm preaching about and hesitate and balk Allowing the light of truth and the light of the scripture to fill their hearts. And enable them to walk in obedience to this principle. But it not only proves what your heart is full of. It proves who your heart is following. <laughs> Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. What does that have to do with giving? Look at the next phrase. You cannot serve God and money, materialism, mammon. It proves who your heart is following. If you rob God, you're following the money. But if you're faithful to give and trust God, you're following him. So what we do with our treasures proves what our heart is full of. And it proves who our heart is following. Let me add a third one to that. You go to verse number 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It proves where our heart is focused. What are we focused on? Now, I love sports, but you know all that's going to fade like a flower. But the truth is today, dearly beloved, if you knew the statistics, it would shock you the money that Christians spend on sports, and then they won't even tithe. I could give you some statistics about dog food that would stifle you. And it's amazing. People will take their dog now to the hospital and get them surgeries. They'll take them to doctors, and they're killing babies in the womb. And what's sad, my friend, is there's even some people sitting in our Baptist churches that believe that lie and swallow this philosophy that is being braced by the world. My body, my business. Oh, really? It's not your body. Dear lady, God bless you. I love you, but your body belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. And one day God's going to answer this. He did in Egypt. They killed all those babies, and God answered it and took the firstborn of every one of their house and destroyed that nation, even took Pharaoh's firstborn. He did in Israel when Herod was trying to find out who this king was that the wise men told him about. He killed all those Jewish young people, those kids two years and younger. He walks out in Caesarea Maritima, stands up in the middle of his people to glorify himself, and God smites him right there. He dies, and the worms eat him. 
I'm going to tell you something. America can laugh all they want. And they can play their little games. But judgment's coming. Payday's coming. Someday, my friend, this nation will pay for the murderous ways that it has embraced and adopted. Our president will pay. Our Congress will pay. These bunch of educated fools who spit in the face of God and shake their fist in the face of a holy God. You can't fight God. He will get the last word. Proves where your heart is focused. Put up or shut up. That's not too rough, is it? You know, I'm being told all the time, you holler too loud. You know, you sweat. You just talk too straight. You know what's sad about that, Brother Kenneth? I learned that from Brother Roloff. Brother Kevin, I learned that from Brother Roloff. I learned that from Ed McAbee. Yeah, it used to be in day and time in my life, friend, if you didn't preach that way, I'd get up and walk out on you. I didn't want you to pussyfoot around and tell me how good I was. I didn't want to hear a lecture. I wanted to hear some dead gum preaching. I wanted somebody to pin their ears back and preach. Get in my face and tell me like it is. Uh, but we've lost that in our churches. We don't hear that anymore. Because we're a bunch of wusses is what we are. Is that too tough? Not in my day it wasn't. I don't even know how I got off on that. I must have thought about Joe Biden and got mad. He makes me mad. He makes me mad. I told my wife when he was running for president, that guy in Boston asked him about his policy about guns, and old Biden put his finger there on his chest and called him a liar. I said, why can't I be standing there at times like that? I'd love to be standing there and feed him that finger. I know that's too rough. I know. I know. I'm out of place. I know. In daytime when I was coming up, preaching I listened to, they told you you were out of place. If that's how you feel. <laughs> I'll just take a baby aspirin and go to bed. I won't worry about it. Well, you're not loving. You don't even know what love is, really. If love means I have to compromise this book, if love means I have to water it down, and you're right, I'm not very loving and don't want to be. We've raised a generation of snowflakes that can't take straight truth. They can't take it straight. And God help us. I don't know how I'm getting off on this, Kevin, but I'm, you know, let me get back to the subject at hand here. I'll close with this. He, 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 he gives us an exhortation, invest. He, he leaves us, uh, draws us a conclusion, that is what you do with your investments. <coughs> Proves where your heart is, what your heart is full of. But then number three, he he, he, he leaves us an admonition, and the admonition is, look, hey, you don't have to worry about this. I'm going to take care of it. That's what he says in 25 through 34. I'm going to take care of you. B 
be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. He fed five loaves, five barley loaves. That's poor man's bread. Kind of like a croissant. It crumbles when you put it in your hand. And two, and I love the way the Holy Ghost said, small fishes. And he fed 5,000, probably more like fifteen to 18,000. You think he's going to have any problem taking what little meager things we give and give back to us? Matter of fact, if he hadn't uh, stopped pulling that bread and fish apart, we'd be eating bread and fish for lunch today. We'd still be eating. Let me just give you this, and I'm done. He leaves us an admonition. Don't worry. You know why we don't have to worry? Because, number one, we are the Father's priority. Look at verse 46. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And look what he says here. Are you not much better than they? You know what God's saying? Don't you know you mean more to me than the birds? And I feed them, and you don't think I'll feed you? And then look at verse, look at this next verse here. He's talking about Solomon and the lilies of the field. There in verse number 30, and look what he says. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? <laughs> Don't you know you mean more to me than birds and flowers? Well, I just thought about Biden again, but I'm not going there. I'm, I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not just. I'm not going to say it. You tell Joe, boy, I said that. You tell him. What he's saying here is, you're my priority. Not the fowls of the air. Not the flowers of the field. You are my priority. And that's why, dearly beloved, we don't have to worry. But not only... Are we the Father's priority? We have the Father's perception. (laughs) What is his perception? Verse 32, he said, for after all these things, what is he talking about? Mammon, food, drink, and, and clothes. After all these things do the Gentiles seek. In other words, this is where they're focused. They think they've got to take care of it. They worry about it all the time. But you don't have to worry, not only because you're the Father's priority, you're more important to him than birds and flowers. But you have the Father's perception. Look what he says. For your heavenly Father, verse 32, knoweth, knoweth you have need of these things. (laughs) And you know what he's waiting for you and I to do? Trust him. And you know what we'll do when we trust him? We'll tell it to Jesus. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. We'll ask him. Look at chapter 7 and verse number 9. Well, what man is there of you if, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil <laughs> know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things? Good things. Food's good. You're going to find out here in a little bit, food's good. Water's good. 
And clothes are good. I'm glad we've all got them on. Shall he give good things to those that ask him? We have the Father's. We are the Father's priority. We we have the Father's perception. We're blessed with the Father's promise. Look at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There's the promise right there. He didn't say might be. He didn't say hopefully be. He said, well, you know, he didn't say, well, it depends on the taxes. Depends on the gas prices. No, it depends on his promise. (laughs) I know I'm overbearing. I know I'm sarcastic. I know I'm over the top. Please overlook all that. Please look at the truth of what I've told you. You can think what you want about me. But, friend, be careful what you think about God and his word. What your pastor is asking you to do is what means everything to God. You know what that is? Get the gospel out. Get the gospel out. Take it to the world. Take it to the world. You don't have to do it through faith, promise, and grace giving, but understand this, and I made this statement the other night. We don't just need to sing, send the light. We need to pay the light bill. You don't have to use faith, promise, or grace giving. But this is your pastor, and God has led him to do that. And he's, he's leading you to do that, not just to support missionaries, and not just for the sake of an offering, but to teach you the grace of giving, and to teach you, dearly beloved, the lesson on faith, and to perpetuate spiritual growth in your life. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I love you today, church. I do love you. Forgive me of my shortcomings. Forgive me of my humanity. I do get angry from time to time. But if you're an American and you love this country, there ought to be some things that make you angry. And if you're not angry, then go to Russia and stay there. See how you like that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. (coughs) I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Here in a moment, however your pastor leads us, you're going to give. And I trust you'll be obedient in this area. I trust you'll trust God and believe him. And I trust you'll do so, standing on the promises of God. And one day when we get to heaven, we'll rejoice in the fruit that is abounded to our account. May the Lord bless you. Father, bless your word today. We thank you for it. Forgive us of our sins where we fail you. Lord, help us to walk in accordance with your word and the light of that word. We'll give you the thanks and praise. Bless Brother Kevin. Bless this church and these dear people. Help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Kevin, you can.